Hey folks, it's Marvin Cash, the host of The Articulate Fly. On this episode, I'm joined by the imperfect Texas Buddha and earth warrior poet Steve Ramirez. We discuss the journey, finding one's true path, doing meaningful work, and of course, Steve's most recent writing endeavor, Casting Onward. I hope you enjoy part one of our conversation. But before we get to the interview, just a couple of housekeeping items. If you like the podcast, please tell a friend and please subscribe and leave us a rating and review in the podcatcher of your choice. It really helps us out. And as we continue to create and distribute more diverse content, you may want to consider downloading our iOS or Android app. We organize our content by category, so you can go straight to the content that interests you the most. The apps are free, and the links are in the show notes. Alternatively, just search the Articulate Fly where you get your mobile apps. Now, on to our interview. Well, Steve, welcome to the Articulate Fly. Well, thank you. It's really a pleasure to be here. Thank you. I'm really looking forward to our conversation, and we have a tradition on the Articulate Fly. We like to ask all of our guests to share their earliest fishing memory. That's a great tradition. Um, that's really easy for me. First of all, all my, my early memories are with my dad. And uh, matter of fact, uh, when I wrote Casting Forward, uh, I had not fished with anyone other than my dad and my daughter. So uh, the first one I think of is quite easy. Uh, when I was really, really small, he used to take me to a, a little lake, what we call in Texas a, a tank. And uh, it was more of a little pay lake. So to me, it was a great wilderness. But to him, it was, you know, you went there and got your hot dog and your dolly mass and fruit pie. And, and uh, we'd go to our same spot and he would be out there using his spinning rig trying to catch bass. And I had a cane pole with a hook and a bobber and um, usually some salmon eggs. And I'd have a five-gallon bucket and we'd fill it full of water. And this was my first catch and release. So I would catch bluegill one after another and um, put them in the bucket. And then we'd count them at the end of the day and I'd set them all free. Uh, but the other thing I remember about that is uh, that time and every time he took me there, he would say, now, Steve, stay out of the water. And after I fell in uh, or jumped in, uh, I would have to uh, deal with being soaking wet for the rest of the time. And that's not changed for me. I'm still jumping in the water. So that's my first time <laughs> with my dad. And, and uh, yeah, and I remember feeling sorry for him because he would fish and fish and fish and he might catch a bass or two, but I'd have a bucket of 20 bluegill. And I thought, well, I really outdid you today. Yeah. It's funny you say that. I had a kind of a similar kind of entryway into fishing and went from cane poles. Did you graduate to a Zebco 33? I did. I did. Exactly. Yeah. And then it's all downhill from there. <laughs> Right, right. Well, from there, I went into to a spinning rig and then finally to a fly rod, and I never looked back. Yeah. So when exactly did you get pulled to the dark side of fly fishing? Uh, well, to me, I was walking into the light, but it's something I always wanted to do. My dad fly fished when I was a kid, but he never, I never fly fished with him. because um, And uh, it's something I wanted to do. And when I got out of the Marine Corps, I bought my first fly rod. That's not where it started because uh, my wife and I were so poor that I had to go ahead and resell it before I could use it. <laughs> and, uh, and it wasn't even, and then I finally was able to get my own fly rod and just kind of teach myself. I, um, I got a VHS taste with, with Mel Krieger and, and, um, and my quality of style showed that I was self-taught. So uh, that's how I started out. I was actually an adult here in Texas. 
by the time I switched to fly rod. And um, even with my rough casting of the time of teaching yourself, I knew I was hooked. No pun intended. Uh, there's just something about I would I would cast a fly rod with no fly on the end. It would just be fine with me. Yeah, absolutely. I do that a lot too. And, you know, so you, that, you know, maybe you started your fly fishing journey a little later than some people, but, you know, who are some of the folks that have mentored you on your fly fishing journey and what have they taught you? You know, that's, that's really interesting because, um, for the longest time I had no one to mentor me. So, um, you know, my mentors growing up were my dad. And then after that, people in the Marines, uh, but that's life mentoring, fly fishing mentorship. I had to teach myself. And only when I wrote this second book did I ever start fishing with other people. Since then, well, I'm always fishing with someone who knows more than me. So they're all kind of mentoring me, uh, whether it be, uh, you know, I'm fishing with Chris Wood or Kirk Dieter or Bob White or, or uh, my friend Kesley Gallagher or, you know, any of these people. They all know more than I do which is great. I tell them, look, consider me like a six-year-old instead of a 60-year-old. And um, and I'm out here, and I'm just soaking it up like a sponge. So now I have a lot of people I learn from. But uh, at first, it was just me figuring it out on my own. Yeah, very neat. Do you, do you find that intimidating to fish with people like that? Um, or do you find it easy to kind of have that mind like a beginner and just kind of roll with it? I find it to be practice. So uh, I don't know if you know this, but when I write on social media, I often refer to myself as the imperfect Texas Buddha, Texan Buddha. So to me, is it's my Zen practice because my natural inclination as a human being is to be nervous about something or to think, well, what am I doing here? Uh, these people are so much better than I am at this. Uh, but it is great for me to um, take that breath and realize it, doesn't matter i'm learning and everything that's what i love about fly fishing you and that's what i love about being out in nature you're never going to learn at all um you're never ever going to so i love the constant learning and i i'm really uh one thing i'm really good at is making fun of myself so (laughs) it's probably the one thing i'm really good at so it's not a problem no i i enjoy it i enjoy being out there with and i I have no problem saying to people, you know, a lot more than I do. So let me learn from you. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause I sort of, you know, have been lucky, uh, like you to kind of been around the sport and to meet these just amazing people that know a whole lot more than I do. And I have a hard time sometimes, uh, not feeling self-conscious, right. Cause I've got this podcast and I'm doing all this stuff and, you know, you don't want to be that person who then can't fish. Right. So it kind of gets in my head a little bit. You get the the imposter feel, feeling exactly, yeah. And I've I've I've, I've been there too. And then I have to remind myself that I'm I'm not I'm not pretending to be anything. They know up front. Um, I'm a writer that loves to fish. Um, and I was a writer that hunted, and I was a writer that did other things. And um, so that's fine. I love to fish, and I love being out in nature. But it doesn't mean I know everything about it. Yeah. So uh, now I am, I am. Uh, learning to, I am accelerating my learning, not because I'm trying to, um, I guess there's two reasons people do that. One would be they're, they're being very goal oriented and they want to, to be able to, uh, 
um, seem extremely competent in an area, and there's nothing wrong with that, but I think the other reason, the reason I do it is passion. Uh, if I get better at my skills in fly angling, then I can do more. I can experience more. I can reach that, that fish I couldn't have reached. That makes sense. Yeah, it does. It's interesting. I'm kind of thinking about that and kind of my own experiences because it's it took me a while and it's probably on quite honestly, you know, really kind of an outgrowth of COVID that I've become a much more patient angler, and um, I don't feel that compulsion to you know do everything, whether that's catch all the fish. And so it's been kind of an interesting, I guess, transition for me, and it's kind of helped me kind of get over that imposter syndrome a little bit, I guess. Right. And I'm, and the truth is, uh, I don't worry about catching fish. I mean, it's it's really nice when I catch fish, but I, I, we had talked earlier about me catching the redfish this past week when I had to work super, super hard for one redfish and other people would do it quite easily. But it, it meant a lot. It meant a lot to finally catch up to that redfish. Yeah. And, and, and I learned along the way. It's all good. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, I, I need very little affirmation. So as long as I know that I'm just not out there flailing around with a stick, it generally works out pretty well. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's interesting, too, you know, doing research for the interview, you know, your appreciation for nature goes well beyond fly fishing is really deeply a part of who you are. And, you know, where did that come from and why is it so important to you, Steve? Well, the um, the first reason is that uh, and I don't hide this. Uh, my my dad raised me pretty much as a single parent. Uh, my other parent, uh, my mother, was uh, extremely abusive, and uh, and so as a kid, as soon as I could get out that screen door, I was gone. And if my dad was off working because there was nobody there to protect me, and so that's a very stark answer to how I ended up running for the woods every time I could, and. Um, Really, that's where I found peace. I mean, songbirds and little green lizards became my friends, and nature's not kind, but it is honest, straightforward. And uh, so that's where it started. As a kid, I just couldn't get enough of nature, and um, she was happy to get rid of me, so I hit out the door, and I was gone for the day. And um, then growing up, getting older, um, I pursued that more and was out in nature every chance I could get. It's, again, where I find peace, and I guess if there is God, that's where I find it. And um, and then the Marines, I have to say, as life got more um, complex, as I experienced more of the worst of humanity, which I've seen a lot of, um, I always could come back to nature and be grounded, uh, sitting by a river, and there's many times that I fly fish where I just snip off the fly and just sit on a rock and watch the river go by. I'm not at all competitive, and uh, it's all about the piece of it all for me. So I hope that answers your question. But to me, even to this day, I mean, I have a really nice writing den I'm sitting in right now. But the truth is I spend most of my time writing my books and my stories for magazines, sitting at the kitchen table, watching the birds of the future. Yeah. Nothing's changed, just like <laughs> when I was a kid. Yeah. And so how long is a, did it take you to kind of, you know, you know, you were escaping from the house, but how long did it take you to kind of figure out the healing power of nature? Well, intuitively I knew it immediately, which is why I ran for it. Um, but where I really got to realize it, and I've said this before to people who have asked, um, 
for various reasons, youth, Marine Corps, and 30 years in criminal justice, law enforcement, and homeland security, counterterrorism, my past life, uh, I've seen a lot of really bad stuff. And uh, I only say that to say that what it gave me, among other things, hopefully some wisdom and a lot of compassion, but it also gave me this condition people call PTSD. And I can absolutely say that two things kept me alive. And one is my love of my family. And the other one is nature, without a doubt. And fly fishing would be at the front of that. Absolutely fly fishing at the front of it. It is, it puts you in the moment. It, it, it lets you remember that everything is impermanent. Um, life's like the river. It changes constantly. And uh, nothing lasts forever, good or bad. So I know I'm sounding like a imperfect Texas Buddha that I am. <laughs> but yeah, I, I found out the more I needed it, the more nature was there for me and still is. Uh, when I'm out on a flats in the, in the ocean or if I am on a river, uh, all the rest of it just goes away. Know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I mean, it's interesting because that's one of the reasons why I got involved with Project Healing Waters here in Charlotte um, mm-hmm. was for me, you know, fly fishing. And I was very fortunate, too, as a as a child to have people that took me into the outdoors, right, whether they were naturalists right. or ornithologists or Boy Scouts. But, you know, it was just that thing that um, it was one of very few things that kind of just soaked up everything, right? And, right. you know, I just was like, gosh, if, I, if, you know, I can help other people find that, why wouldn't you do that? Right. And when you're helping other people heal, you're also helping yourself. Yep. You may not be doing it for that reason, but, um, and, and I have mentioned that I have seen a lot of the worst of humanity. And with that, what I've been seeking is the best. And, you know, of course, the first thing you do is try to seek to be that yourself. So um, that's that's what I find, too. When I'm out in nature, I'm often, more often than not, meeting people that are seeking the same thing I'm seeking. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting that you say that um, because it, well, I don't even know how to express it. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't even know how to express it. Um, it it's um, yeah, it's just a, it's an amazing thing, and um, I don't know. I guess I guess I guess what I would say is, you know, to your point earlier, you know, like when I'm very very stressed out, I just have kind of one of the kind of mechanisms I've kind of built into my life is to help other people, kind of like what you were talking about. Absolutely right. And I actually have. Uh a little whiteboard that I have that certain things I want to do every day and I don't always pull it off. Um, you know, like exercise and, you know, various other things you can do, writing time, research time. But one of the, one of the things I have on there every day that I'm doing, even if it's a small thing is, is random acts of kindness that could just be reaching out to someone that I know is having a tough time saying, Hey, how are you doing? It could be just being nice to the clerk at the grocery store, but it, or, um, a friend of mine who spent some time uh, in Tibet and, and actually visited with the Dalai Lama, and, and she was telling me that someone once told her, no matter what goes on, you can always go feed the birds. Um, and you think about that, just 
just filling my bird feeder and, and watering the plants is something that's magnifying this. Yeah. So I, I, you know, we seem to, I, I am just editorializing here, but to me, I feel we're losing empathy as a nation, as a world. And, um, a lot of what I'm writing about is having empathy and it, it heals us to be decent with other people and with other, other things, living things. Yeah, and I, I think it's amazing too. You know, I think you and I talked about this the last time we spoke uh, when we were kind of setting up the interview about, you know, the power of those small positive things, right? And, yes. um, you know, one of the things I always tell my boys, and I tell people too that are upset but don't want to do anything, is I say, you know, just be the change that you want to see in the world. Right. Gandhi was right on that one. And, um, uh, and the other thing I'll say about what nature teaches me is to let go of uh, human constructs that have no parallel in nature. And this is going to probably bother some people when I say this, but there really is no such thing as justice. It's something we made up. Um, money's not real. Corporations aren't real. I mean, we just all agreed to it. Um, national borders aren't actually real. We just made them up. Um, watersheds are real. Am I making a little sense there when I say that? No, you are. I, I completely get it. When you watch it, you watch a trout and it's rising. And when the trout rises at the right time and picks up the mayfly that's floating on the water, it's good for the trout and bad for the mayfly. If we put it in simplistic human terms, but if it misses, it's better for the mayfly and not so good for the trout. But it's not about right and wrong. I mean, nature just is. And I think sometimes we let ourselves get really upset saying that's not fair and when I was a college professor, I taught my students, well, what I've discovered is life's not fair. Get over it. <laughs> life's not fair. Yeah. Um, but, it, but it is beautiful. It is a great, great gift to be alive. Um, and you really see that when you're in situations in which a lot of people don't come out of it alive. So. Yeah, well, I mean, my academic experience was similar. Um, the life's not fair argument didn't go very far in law school. <laughs> well, and law school's teaching an adversarial system, so my uh, my my Buddhist system doesn't work so well. Yeah, so sure, go ahead, take that. <laughs> <laughs> so I've I've actually been giving away a lot of my belongings for the last couple of years, and I've joked that I'm giving things away like a dying man because I am. So you know what I mean? We all are. Yep. And I and I just wanted I wanted to be more free. So um, now your listeners are going to think, well. This guy's a fly fishing writer. What's he talking about all this? Well, it's all the same thing. I mean, really, you can get piled down with gear or you could walk out into the river with a fly rod and one little box of flies and you'll be just fine. Yeah. Uh, we can get we can get hung up on the gear and forget why we're out there. Yeah. It sounds like we should have a brief conversation about attachment. Yes. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Letting go. Yeah. And we get so frustrated in life and it's not like I've always been where I'm at now. It takes a lot of suffering to learn and, uh, you either learn or you sink. And, uh, to me, by reminding myself to let go. And I think fly fishing is a perfect metaphor for all of this. I mean, you just, you just let go. I, I was not a patient young man. But now I can tangle my line in a tree and it's not bothering me a bit. I just, okay, I've got practice to do here. I have to untangle that line. And I wrote about that in the first book, the, the, the beauty of knots that you didn't intend. So, um, 
yeah, I'm, I'm grateful for how far I've gone to let go of stuff. Yeah, it takes it takes a bit of a journey. I mean, I've I've certainly mellowed mm-hmm. with age for sure. Um, it's um, it, you know, and it's interesting too because you've had this long non fly fishing career, and we know about you from the articles that you've written and the two books that you've got out in the world. But you, you know, you mentioned to me that you were always writing. So, kind of, how did it did writing fit into the pre fly fishing life of Steve Ramirez? Um, well, I'll say that, um, I've always been a writer, even as a kid, even as a child, I made up stories and wrote them up and made up my own little, and, uh, and then later on in the Marines and as a, uh, in my other fields that I've been involved in, I've journaled for a long time. And then after a while I started writing for professional magazines and those are not exciting stories, but I wrote a lot about things in my professional magazines but they were all attached to the work I was doing and I decided to follow my own path. So I moved into poetry, short fiction and essay, which is much more where I'm, you know, who I am other than writing for the FBI journal, which I have done. So, um, so that stuff's much more sterile. So, uh, that I have always written and I, I know this may sound cliche, but I don't think I could live if I couldn't write. It's, it's my way of, of, uh, it's, it's my paintings on the cave wall, so to speak. It's, it's my hieroglyphics. It's the way I, it's the way I communicate with the world. So writing does it for me. And I don't think I could stop. Well, I think when I'm done writing, I'm done. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, and it's, you know, it, it was interesting too. I was really struck when I read the, um, the dedication uh, in your current book, Casting Onward, and I'll just kind of read this quote and then we'll want to talk about it a little bit. You, 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 you wrote, you know, when so much of what I thought I knew to be true became fiction. And I found myself at a point in life where the only sane thing to do was to turn the wheel and travel in a new direction and in doing so to follow my life's true path. You know, I was really struck by that. And, you know, so many people and so much of the kind of pain and suffering that you see in the world is from people not finding their true path. And I was wondering if if you would mind sharing a little bit about kind of how you reached that turning point and probably even more important than that, how you had the courage to make the change. That's such a great question. And I love it so much because anything I share maybe hopefully helps some other people. So um, when we're using words, in the English language, we can only say so much because we only have so many words. So true path doesn't explain it all. But I have to say the first thing is we, we make change um, after there's enough happening in our life to cause us to make change. And in my case, um, I, well, I'm going to tell you two things. And I hope this is enjoyable and informative for your listeners. The first thing is that um, after seeing so much really terrible human behavior over decades. Um, and not all of it was, uh, you know, terrorists and, and criminals. Sometimes it's people that are um, supposed to be honorable. But um, after seeing so much terrible in, in the human world, I had someone say to me who didn't know me at all, said, Steve, don't lose faith in yourself. And I said, it's, oh, it's much worse than that. I didn't, I've never lost faith in myself. It's worse. I lost faith 
in the world. And what I meant by that at that point in my life was I lost faith in the systems and human constructs that I, as a kid, you, you absorb whatever your family, your friends believe. And um, I did lose faith in all those things, including things that I had worked for and towards for many, many years. So when you lose all of it, talk about a lack of attachment. It's all gone. Uh, and it's not because it's just gone, gone. It's because you don't even want it anymore. So um, someone recently said to me when I was talking about this, they said, you know, I think if you choose to do what you love and really want to do when you're eight years old, you're on the right path. I thought that was really wise. This person said this to me as a person I was fishing with a week ago. And um, that's kind of the truth. The true path is what you know when you're a kid and, 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 and adults, grown-ups who are unhappy in their own lives are telling you, well, you can never do that. Uh, I, I uh, actually have a master's degree in adult education. One of the things I learned is we do a great job of destroying human natural desire to learn and grow and tell people all the things they can't do. And if you think about it, we talk to kids all the time. We say, don't, 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 no, no. So I think as you try to find your true path, you start saying yes, and why not? And um, so after I lost faith in so much in humanity, I decided to seek what is great in humanity, and there's a lot. And, um, and I went back to nature, the same place I went as a kid, and nature taught me, again, to love discovery and using words and description. And, um, and I know that humans think in stories um, and stories change the world for better or worse when we create a construct and then everybody accepts it. So I just said to myself, when your back path is gone, your new path needs to be something that's authentic it's real. And um, while I was struggling with this, and this is very personal, but I'm going to share that I have, have several what I call my Marine brothers that I served with overseas. And of them, I'm the only one left right now. Uh, but one of my dearest Marine brothers, Dave, he died about 20 some years ago. And this may sound crazy to your listeners, but the truth is Dave has appeared to me in dreams, whether my mind makes that up or whatever it is, I have no idea. Um, during the time before I wrote Casting Forward, he appeared to me and I was driving down a desert road in, a, oddly enough, I think a 1957 Chevy, which is the car my dad had, um, with a window down towards a mountain. And I noticed Dave was sitting next to me grinning. And when he appears to me with these dreams, he always just says, he asks a question and he gives an answer. And this is what he did. He just said, where are you going? And I said, I don't know, Dave. And he said, well, you're never going to go anywhere near new if you don't turn the wheel. I woke up from that and I, I, whether I created it in my own head or what it was, I said to myself, I'm going to turn the wheel. I'm not going to do this stuff that I've been doing that I feel is wrong. So I don't know if it's courage or just that you have nowhere else to go. Know what I mean? No, I do. I mean, it's it's um, a very kind of fundamental breakage, right? And 
and I think as a writer and as a human being, it's important for me. Sometimes my family hates that I'm so open about this stuff, but there's other people out there and we're all on the same journey together. It's just a lot of us don't want to say what the others are all thinking. We're all thinking. And I just say it. Um, we, we end up on a path because we're not willing to turn the wheel because we don't know what's there. That since you already know if the road you're on is the wrong road, turn the damn wheel. <laughs> so that's what I did. And I've not stopped since. And I've told people metaphorically that I took my rear view mirror off in that car and I threw it out the window. And I think you get what I'm saying. I only look back to learn something. I never lament, you know, to me, hardships are just, that's an opportunity for me to learn and overcome. No big deal. Yeah. Hardship is hardship. Big deal. Big deal. Yeah. Life has hardship. And if it was all easy, it wouldn't be any good. Yeah, exactly. You know, that, that redfish was super great to me because I had to work so hard to get it. Yeah, it's in, it's interesting too. You talking about basically people not appreciating you, kind of breaking the myths and the constructs, right? Yeah. Uh, which uh, can make you not very popular. Well, and I'm not saying anybody else has to be there. Uh, that's the other thing. I'm not trying to convince anybody of anything because here's the thing I've really learned is I don't know anything. <laughs> I th- and I think for the most part, none of us really do. I mean, it's all faith. Um, including a lot of things in science that we think, okay, that's absolute. But, you know, 400 years ago, the earth was flat. We knew it. Um, you know what I'm saying, right? Um, no, absolutely. Our senses only take us so far. And um, so, yeah, we've kind of come a long way from fly fishing. But, you know, I, I, can, I can tie anything back to fly fishing. So, yeah, I think we've got to be, um, so I guess my new path, my true path is being more childlike, being as brave as I can be, as curious as I can be, open-minded, keeping a lifelong learner, you know, um, and don't be afraid to try. And I think then that also helps you remember to be humble. You know, you don't know much. Just... (laughs) When I hear someone tell me they're an expert, it kind of makes me smile because, and I'm not asking anybody else to feel like this at all, but for me, nothing is as funny as human certainty. (laughs) No, I, you know know what I mean? I completely get what you mean. Yeah. It's an interesting thing. I mean, it's kind of one of those great paradoxes, right? At least for me, I think if you're doing it the right way and we'll just put that to the side, right? Uh, what right right means, um, the more you learn, the less you know. Right. Exactly. Exactly what I'm saying. And people will think, well, why does this tie into it? Well, everything, it, it, it's all connected. And once we let go of feeling I have to be right, I have to know this, or my parents knew this, so I know it. Um, and I'm not saying that I understand what's true and what's not true. It's very freeing to understand that there's very little you really know. <laughs> <laughs> and so from there on out, I'm just trying to learn. And that's the same thing with fly fishing. If I sh- So in this book that I'm writing right now, for example, I'm pushing myself into zones I've never been in before. And, and so I'm never going to, I'm not going to look great the first time I try something, but I'm okay with that because I'll get better. And um, so I guess part of my message is for people to relax and, um, 
you know, I'm sure you, this has pr- probably been your experience. My experience is when I tense up, I'm a lousy caster. And when I relax and don't think about it, I'm fine. Um, yeah, I, w- I would agree with that. And I would also say one beer in the boat helps too. One beer in the boat. <laughs> okay. Well, that kind of lets you relax. Absolutely. <laughs> well, you know, you're saying that, but I was especially with a, a friend of mine, Aaron Reed and, and, he had some of his fantastic Texas music playing quietly on the boat while we we're fishing for snook. And we were both having a nice Texas beer. And let me tell you, I, I was really casting really nicely that day and that, that couldn't have just been me. <laughs> so yeah, if we let go, you know, if you think about the greatest basketball player, football players, whatever else, they're not calculating the trajectory. They're letting it fly. They've got mastery and you get that by just doing it, not by thinking about it. Yeah, it's interesting. All all the kind of super optim optimizing for performance is all mental, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Because cause you re- you reach that kind of asymptote for kind of physical and skill improvement so quickly, right? So the only thing left is the mind, right? Yeah, but you still have to let go. Yep, absolutely. You know, if you if you can't let go, you don't send that three pointer towards the hoop. Yeah, you're 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 worried you might not make it. And so, you, so uh, yeah. And so you've been on this path, right? You've thrown away the rear view mirror. Does no. it, does it feel to you like there's, you know, at this point, like there's really no other way for you to be? Yes. I, I couldn't live any other way. So when I wrote the first book, I, I asked the question to myself, can I live like a hawk? Can I just go out there each day, not knowing if I'm going to have dinner, <laughs> you know? And, um, because we, we let ourselves, well, for me, I can only speak for myself. I hung in there through really terrible conditions and circumstances, trying to make it what I wanted it to be rather than what it was. Um, also because I was afraid to let go and just, you know, move in another turn that wheel. So, uh, yeah, I don't think I could, I could never go back. I and mean, it's, it's like once you know a thing, or you understand a thing, or you've seen a thing, you can't unsee it. Do you know what I mean? And I say that a lot, by the way, because being a college professor, I'm used to saying to my students, when I used to be a college professor, I'd say, am I making sense now? And now it's burned in my brain to say that. (laughs) No, it's funny. The metaphor I use with that, with my boys, is I talk about being bitten by the vampire. Bitten by the vampire. Tell me about that. Oh, well, no, it's just the, you know, it's kind of like, you know, you're bitten by the vampire, you become a vampire. It's the kind of the same thing. Like you can't unsee right. it. It's done. Right. right. Yeah. I always remember uh, in, in school, somebody told me the story of a bear that was living in a beautiful valley. And you may have heard the same little parable. And one day the bear decides to climb the mountain and see what's on the other side. And he finds a city. And once he sees that city, he goes back to his valley. He doesn't like the city, but the valley is never the same again. And uh, I think that's how it is for me. I've seen the city. Uh, so now I just hang out in my valley. <laughs> and I only invite the people I want there. <laughs> and that's another thing that's very freeing, is uh, if you decide how you want to live, that's what that's how you live. And I think I'll bring it back to fishing again. I don't fish with anybody I don't want to fish with. Uh, I could never be a guide. First of all, I'm not talented enough. But second of all, I don't want to fish with people I don't want to fish with. <laughs> but life's too short. Yeah, I would give you an amen on that one. Yeah, I'm 61 years old. I'm, I'm, I'm not wasting the time. I want to fish with people that 
that get it. Yeah. To understand why this is so awesome, so beautiful to do. Yeah. And why we're so lucky to stand in that river on that flat. And, you know, so one of the interesting things, Steve, right, is there's this kind of serenity when you start walking on this path. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't come without a cost. Um, and so do you mind sharing some of the kind of the challenges and costs that have kind of popped up as you've gone on this new path? Um, no. Um, I mean, the most, most obvious one is you're, you're giving up that at least illusion of financial stability. Um, you're giving up all that other stuff that you had. I actually am quite fine with all of that. Um, but the other part is, you know, because those things come with shackles. And, uh, but I think the, the struggle is to make sure that you keep reminding yourself why you turn the wheel. You keep reminding yourself why you're on that path. And to keep reminding yourself to listen to the voice inside your own heart and not the naysayers that will be around. And I'm not saying anything negative about people that will say, oh, no, you shouldn't do that. You can't do that. You know, every really awesome thing I've done in my life. I've had a chorus of people around me telling, telling me, you'll never do that. I mean, I ended up running the marathon because someone told me I couldn't do it. So, um, you, you get where I'm going with that? Yeah, um, yeah, I do. You, I think the cost is you have to be vigilant. That's the first cost. You're, you're, you're giving up the illusion of the security of the day in, the day out. And you're, you are your own boss, but that means you're completely responsible for how you're taking things forward. So the Marine in me is extremely disciplined as a writer. Um, people wonder how I can put three books out, one, two, three, like I do. Well, it's because I have discipline in what I'm doing. I know what my where I'm going. And I know that there's a price to be paid for that. I'm not going to get to sit around and do some of the things others might do because I'm getting on a plane for Alaska. And um, so the, uh, I think the big price is I don't even know if I can call it a price, but it you are no longer on somebody else's schedule, so you had better set it. And then you better have enough discipline to run with that ball and do something with it. And you also need, to me, these all turn into benefits, but for a lot of people, it'd be quite frightening. Uh, when things go wrong, you need to know how to get back up and just reinvent again. Uh, because there's no one there to tell you what's next. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting. It's kind of like, you know, you're, you're kind of leaning into the storm every day. Yes. And we all are, but we we let things around us make us think, oh, I don't have to worry about that. Um, you know, every, and, and this is the Buddha in me is going to come out here again. Everything is so impermanent. And I know that because I, I've known people that were there the day I talked to them and the next day they were gone. And you know why I'm saying that because a lot of them were, we lived in violent situations. Or uh, even in places like Africa, where people simply died of disease in a single day. Um, I, I know things are impermanent. But once you realize that, it's not something that just hangs over you like you're afraid. Instead, you actually pay attention. So, uh, getting a slightly bit off track, I used to be. Te- I used to teach people in in uh, counterterrorism counter-bomb suicide bomber. I was an instructor in active shooter killer response and preparation, all these lovely things that we have to deal with with humanity. I was subject matter expert in these areas. And one time I had a group of people I was training and one of them said, how do I know when I'm ready to 
take this on? And I gave him a very strange answer. But the wise gentleman in the back who had been through it all, who I knew who he was, he smiled. And I said, when you walk across this courtyard to this classroom, and you've noticed the hummingbirds on the yellow flowers, you're ready. And that sounds so like the old show Kung Fu when I was a little kid. But what I was trying to say, when you're paying attention, you're ready. And if you think about it, I'm going to go back to fly fishing again. When I'm fly fishing, I'm paying attention. I'm not letting my mind wander. I'm paying attention. I'm following the currents in that river. I'm paying attention to what's all around me, and I'm moving with it. And that that's a great metaphor for life. Yeah, I, I mean, I would say that power of being present, right? And I mean, it takes a while to kind of live with that and digest it. Um, But when you understand kind of how fleeting things are, right? Right. So whether it's like, you know, if you and I fish together, that may be the only day in both of our lives that we fish together. Right. Right. Absolutely. Right. Or um, I don't know, you you know, there's so many things like, is this the last time you see that friend? Is it the last time you see a parent or a loved one? And I think if people really stop and think about that, it's very powerful and it's actually, it's hard, but very simple. Yes. And it's, it, it could be a burden or a gift and I choose to make it a gift. And, and, um, so my dad taught me this actually, I, I never say good, goodbye, especially to the, the people I, I love or care about and not that I don't care about each person I meet, but you know what I mean? I never say goodbye. I say goodbye for now. Um, cause that's a hopeful thought, but I'm always fully aware and I try not to waste time uh, with silliness. And so if I'm out fishing with a friend, I'm they have my 100%. They have all of me right there. That's what I'm doing. We're, we're fishing together, and there is nothing else I'm worried about. Um, so, yeah, I think it becomes a gift if you make it that. You, I mean, everything in life is a choice. And we're being very philosophical, but now you've, you've really done a great job of getting right down to it why I write and why I do what I'm doing. Yeah, um, yeah, and we, everything and, in life is a choice. Yeah, everything. Yeah. And I mean, we've talked a little bit kind of indirectly about how this path has changed your relationship, I guess, kind of in a more abstract sense, but you know, how is it on a practical level kind of changed the people who are in your orbit now? Oh, a huge, huge change. Um, I used to be around the people that I had to be around in order to do the work I was doing and function. And, you know, you search for, you're open to, to uh, what we call friends and, and things like that. But I, I saw when you're in a world that's so surrounded by negative, there's so much negative around you, even within humans that are not finding a way to turn that into something more positive. Um, and I guess for a long time I tolerated darkness, human darkness, and um, it's just par for the course, so to speak. But I don't do that anymore. Now, um, and I guess the way I'll say this is uh, I explained to my daughter once when she was young, and I try to protect my family's privacy so I don't talk about them much. But I said to her once, you know, if you follow your passion of what you really love and you have to work really hard for where you're going, you're likely to find people that have the same passion and work just as hard to get there. And that's exactly what's happened for her. 
And that's what I would say has happened for me. I now find myself surrounded by people that I would say some of the best human beings I've ever met, and they've become my friends. And I mean friends like I would, they could call me today and I would get on a plane to come help them and vice versa. And that all unfolded with the book that you just read through. Um, prior to that, I was pretty much on my own, except for in the Marines. That's the only place where I truly found camaraderie and friendship. After I got out of the core, I have to say it was all a disappointment. <laughs> I have to say it was everybody for themselves. And, and I found myself thinking, Hey, wait, wait, there's a better way of doing this. You know, we can, we can be abundant. We can help each other. Um, I think a lot of people think that warriors are big, tough, like the guys on TV. But all the warriors I served with were kind of heart. And all of the warriors I served with were as decent of people as I've ever met, even though they had to deal in a decent world. So I know I'm getting really, really deep here, but um, hopefully it's what you wanted. It has changed my life completely by opening up to the people who are seeking to have a good life and create a good life and be the change, as you've said, be the change we wish to see in the world. And I have discovered those people, male and female, um, from every walk of life. And I've made best friends of my life in the last couple of years. Yeah. Since I turned the, since I turned the wheel. But the flip side to that is I've let go of a whole lot of people that I was clinging to because I wasn't willing to say, hey, you're choosing a path that's pretty dark and destructive. I'll always be here if you want to go another way, but I'm not going to let you drag me down. <laughs> so I think we have to be able to do that. We have to be able to let go, yeah. leave the door open, but let go. And so, yeah, that's my answer is I have been surrounded by wonderful, wonderful human beings, all of us imperfect. And it's never been better in my life since I decided to turn the wheel and change and and put up my boundaries as well. Um, who do I want to be around? Um, the, the old thing is uh, you, you become who you hang out with in a way mm -hmm. um, and vice versa. So yeah, it's been a really great ride and uh, I hope I'm on the same ride for the remainder of the time I have left. Yeah. And I think the amazing thing is, I mean, it's one thing for that shift to happen, but you know, for, you know, I, I kind of look at the people who are like illustrating your books, who you're fishing right. with, who are writing, you know, blurbs for your book. I mean, it's literally right. the Mount Olympus of fly fishing, right? Yes, it is. So, yes, it is. so I mean, it not only does it a change, but it was super fast, right? Do you ever just, yes. do you ever just say like, holy moly, how did I get here? <laughs> right? Uh, yes, definitely. But at the same rate, um, in different ways, this is I've never seen the movie Forrest Gump, but somebody told me I should see it <laughs> because I've had one of those lives where once I opened myself up to a direction, it just it comes together. Uh, but yes, I've definitely felt that way because now uh, you've mentioned I'm so grateful not only to have Bob White illustrating my books, but to have him as one of my dear, dear friends. And, um, you know, I love the guy like a brother and I mean it. And uh, I was just, a, you know, who Chris Wood is the, present CEO of, of Crown Unlimited, and he's another truly dear friend, just did the uh, forward on my second book, um, Kirk Dieter, uh, and I can go on. Um, uh, 
David Blinken up in, in New York. And, and I can all across the country now I can go on and say, these are awesome people that have become my friends. And um, I feel very, very grateful. And all of them know more than I do. Yeah. Um, but what I can do is translate what I learn from these people into writing and into words and into stories that hopefully help others. It's interesting too, right? Because I think part of this, you know, walking the true path is there's this amazing ability for connection with authenticity and empathy. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right. And so it's kind of, I, I don't know, like if when I try to explain it to my boys, I'll talk about it. it's like, you know, there are all these tuning forks, but you haven't found your tuning forks yet. And That's then, really a great way to say it. Right. And then you miraculously, you don't try to be someone else's tuning fork. You just try to be your tuning fork and then you find your tuning forks. Right. And other people who have the same vibrations yep. end up around you. Uh, it's almost like, oh, it's you. You know, it's taken a while for us to catch up to each other, but, you know, let's go fishing. Yeah. And uh, it's a beautiful thing, but it is authenticity and including being true to yourself, which means also. Um, putting up those lines of what you will and will not do. And I mean, we can turn that back to fly fishing too. ethics on the water. Yeah. What are my boundaries? What will I do? And will I will not do? Why am I here? Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't go out on a river. I'm not telling anybody else how they should live. But for me, I don't go on a river because I have to get the biggest fish or the most fish. I don't actually care. Sure. It's nice to catch a big fish. It's nice to have a, a uh, day in which you're catching a lot of fish but the truth is these days sometimes I'll go out on a river and say I'm going to catch six today and then snip off and that's exactly what I'll do no matter how good the fishing is I'll cut it off and I'll go sit on a rock and <laughs> and just enjoy being out and out there um, it's not about a goal I've already arrived well folks I hope you enjoyed that as much as we enjoyed bringing it to you again if you like the podcast please tell a friend and please subscribe and leave us a rating and review in the podcatcher of your choice. Tight lines, everybody. Mm-hmm.